The All Black Podcast is powered by our official cloud software partner, SAP, helping our teams in black become the best-run teams in sport. To listen to this episode and all the All Black Podcasts, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Kirofano, welcome to episode 14 of the All Black Podcast, powered by SAP. Ben O'Keefe, back in the studio today, our second podcast of many that looks at the game from behind the whistle. Hopefully we'll give our listeners a better understanding of some of the rules, big moments in the game that cause a huge amount of the discussion. Welcome back, Benny. How you going, mate? Good, Randy. Good, everyone. Yeah, I'm good. Really good. Exciting to be back on the show. Thanks for having me. Mate, I appreciate it. Before we get into it, mate, some of the things we want to discuss. What's been going on lately? I saw a little bit on the uh, the All Black social media, some of your social media, a bit of a capping ceremony for some of our refs. How was that? Yeah, mate, like it was it was a pretty special day. I think we might have mentioned it last time we were chatting that um, New Zealand rugby were going to recognise all their New Zealand test referees. And there are, there are about 80-odd that have done you know test matches around the world. Um, either refereeing New Zealand or refereeing, you know, other countries overseas, and you know, being recognised with a with a cap. So uh, we all turned up at Eden Park. Um, we had the actual referees that were there. We also had um, friends and family of 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 those referees too. Turned up, and we got a cap, and it had our sort of first Test match on it, and we were able to just share memories, and it was like just a big reunion. So um, I was sort of sitting in back and a little bit of bit of awe with um, you know some of the referees that were there. We had you know Keith Lawrence, Colin Hawke, wow. um, Steve Walsh, and um, even met you know the grand the grandchildren of some of the um, the older referees that that couldn't be there at that time, which um, which was pretty special because you know they, they turned up and they had their big like uh, blazer on with a big <laughs> silver fern. I think it had like 1950. That's when they did their first <laughs> test match, and then and then I worked out that their first test matches back in the day. My, mine was um, Samoa Georgia in, in Samoa, and then but but back then their the, their first test matches, the ones that they did were I think one of them was. New Zealand versus the British and Irish Lions. So oh, God. That's a, it's a hell of a debut. Yeah, mate. Uh, awesome. And I suppose, you know, with rugby teams and rugby players, they get that uh, that community feel. They're with those guys all the time. They have that real culture of, of being in a team. But like for you, you're absolutely in a team. And I know on a match day, a team of four refereeing the matches, but you probably don't get to spend a huge amount of time together as a collective, do you? Like I know you probably for the modern refs, you have times at the start of the season when you, you get together, you have testing, all those sort of things. But to get the wider refereeing community together is pretty cool and I'd say you know that they've got a few war stories you know whether it be uh, the Lawrences or the Patty O'Briens and those sort of guys they've, they've probably seen a few sights. I definitely heard a lot of how you know they refereed rugby better back in their day <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, on the day but it, it was special because um, we, you're right like we, we sort of travel around in twos threes and fours so you know that's we're in a very small team so on that day on that day we're able to all come together as one large team um, share memories because we've all had experiences um, with each other. Either as I was coming through as an assistant referee, as 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 men like uh, Jonathan White and Bryce Lawrence are refereeing, Chris Pollock. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, just to be recognised by New Zealand rugby and, and brought into that New Zealand rugby community that um, you know the the sacrifices that some of the families and the referees have previously made um, was well recognised. So it, it was special. It's um, still gives me a good buzz and. I think the cap that I'll, I have, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll cherish that for a long time. Mate, it's cool because I know, you know, players have a lot of milestones that they try and hit, debuts, certain amount of games, getting to major tournaments. I'm sure it's the same for you, but it's cool, isn't it, to have that recognition and, and maybe there's there's more to do there, whether it be uh, for New Zealand rugby or at an international level, you know, blazers for certain amount of games or, or certain amount of games or milestones or tournaments. I, th- I think it's a good thing, isn't it, because it really um, creates some 
um, opportunities um, during your career to to target a few things and hit a few things and and have those moments where you sit back and and actually look at what you've done, you know, because I see you as a pretty young referee, but actually you've been around a wee while, you know, and you've probably ticked a few boxes and maybe don't necessarily get the opportunity to sit back and look at that sometimes. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're really proud when we go overseas. Often, we, I mean, we don't really get to referee the All Blacks. We don't get to wear the Silver Fern. Um, but, we, you know, we'll wear our World Rugby gear, wear our Super Rugby gear, um, NPC. But we're proud to be a referee from New Zealand. So I know that, you know, on my whistle, I've got a little um, Silver Fern. I know some people um, in their skins that they wear under their, their, their comms gear, they've got a bit of a Silver Fern there too. Um, so, you know, we're, we're hugely proud to be able to do that. I think every single referee and um, we do try and, you know, reach milestones, but often the ones that, you know, you don't really recognise until they happen because um, it can be pretty fickle. You know, you referee a game, you try and do your best for 80 minutes and then, you know, sometimes it doesn't go well. So, um, you know, some people can get to one or two games, some people um, can get to 50 or, you know, even this November window, uh, a referee like Wayne Barnes is going to do 100 test matches. So. Wow. It's a it's a pretty broad spectrum, but just to be involved, I think you know every referee, especially within New Zealand, we're just absolutely stoked. So yeah, it's a special day, special just to catch up with everyone, um, and you know I think it's the tradition is going to continue now. So every time a new New Zealand referee comes along, they do their first um, oh, test match, they're going to be able to receive one of those caps alongside the players too. So um, yeah, great great tradition that's starting in New Zealand rugby. So I look forward to. Yeah, you know, being one of those old old referees in about fifty years, and I can turn up and say that yeah, we referee way better back in our day too. <laughs> it's just a rite of passage, isn't it, Ben? It just it's just yeah. what you get to say when you're an old, experienced person. That's just the way it is. Yeah, experience is the right thing to say. So just keep <laughs> the young ones on your toes. Women's World Cup at the moment. Uh, our women's game is up in highlights. Fantastic start to the tournament last week. Full house at Eden Park. It, was a, it wasn't just you know a game of rugby or a series of games of rugby. It was it was an entertainment. It was a festival. It was you know a, an awesome thing to to sit back and watch and be a part of. Um, for our female refer- referees as well, a little bit of opportunity at the moment as well. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that, Ben? Yeah, it's. I mean, last weekend when I watched that game at Eden Park, like I've got chills. Like uh, when the, when the women did you know the hacker and just the whole game. Um, it was pretty exciting and pretty pretty awesome to see New Zealanders get behind it and fill Eden Park, fill Eden Park uh, for those games. So we've got a pretty exciting few weeks coming up. Um, but even more exciting is what, what New Zealand rugby is doing is that they're really encouraging uh, ex-women players to to be involved in the game and referee. So, um, you know, you might get a lot of there's – a lot, there's a bit of a pathway there. So they're endorsing this. They've created a scholarship to be able to help. If you're an ex-player, whether you're at international level, you played for the Black Ferns or, you know, you've, you've played rugby within New Zealand – what New Zealand Rugby's done is they've created a scholarship to encourage uh, to get more women to referee after they sort of hang up their boots. Um, there's a bit of a pathway there now, and, and you know we've seen that. We've seen you know at the Rugby World Cup now we've got two representatives. We've got Maggie Cogger or we've got um, Lauren Jenner as well. So they're refereeing some of the biggest games yeah. in the world. And the, I think the reason we want to get ex-players in is because what I traditionally knew. So I sort of came through a refereeing background. So you know, you learn the laws, and then over time, it takes a long time to actually learn, you know, to feel and the understanding for the game. What I think ex-players don't realise, and we've had that with um, the likes of Glenn Jackson and, and Jamie Nutbrown, is that you can quickly ascend um, the refereeing ranks because you have that feel for the game. You actually understand, you know, what teams are trying to achieve, and that's that's the biggest thing that slows you down as a referee is actually getting that feel. Um, so you can learn the laws pr- pretty well. And, you know, I think we've had really good success stories with um, Salika Winniard is refereeing yeah. right now, uh, Rebecca Marnie, 
um, Tiana Nawari and, and Nikki Inwood. So all ex-black firms that have, you know, either starting their professional career as referees or or have had a really, um, you know, exceptional one now. So I just encourage, especially the black firms now, go win us that World Cup. <laughs> and then if you're thinking about, um, you know, hanging up your boots, well, keep your boots, uh, we'll give you a whistle and, and New Zealand Rugby will support, um, you know, any, any ex-player um, woman to, to start refereeing. So I think it's a really, really good initiative that they're doing. And, and I think, um, you know, as we see on the stage right now, uh, you know, it's a really good career after after playing rugby if you still want to stay involved in the game. Mate, absolutely. It's best said in the house, isn't it? Like, I think that's what um, they, something I've heard you say, Jacko say, a, a heap of refs that I talk to, like, um, you know, no matter what the experience, you're out in the middle, you're mixing it up, which, which is pretty cool. And to sort of, let's talk a little bit about that, best seat in the house. Like, uh, you've done a few games this year, mate. Any stick out as, as ones that you look back on, um, really memorable for any particular reason? You've done some pretty big ones this year. Yeah, look, it's been this, this year's a big year for rugby. The year before World Cups always pretty massive, right from you know provincial, so NBC. So I've done a lot of awesome games there. Last few weeks they've been all down to the wire. I've got a semi final this weekend, and then um, you know a few weeks ago I did uh, the rugby championship game, which was Australia versus South Africa at their new stadium in Sydney. And you know that was that was half rugby match, half boxing match. <laughs> um, but that's you know that's the type of test matches rugby are, rugby is these days. You know they're just they're tight games. Um, you know the, the brutal players are really wanting to win. There's some amazing skills involved, so that's 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 the stuff I've been involved in, which um, has been been super exciting. The uh, talk to that game, the Australia South Africa game. I know Australia, um, you know, gave SA a bit of a tickle up in that first test. So did you, um, knowing that, did you know in your prep for the game were you thinking, wow, this this could be pretty ferocious? I'm expecting a bit of a reaction from South Africa, or you just go in and ref what's in front of you? And because and, I know when I talked to you a little bit about that match, you sort of came off the field going, wow, that that was pretty ferocious. That was there was a huge amount to to have to work through there as a referee, and you sort of came off the field wondering, you know, like how did I go? That was that was pretty intense. Like firstly, talk about the lead up, like knowing uh, with South Africa dropping that that first test match, whether it affects your preparation or not at all, and then talk about the aftermath. Yeah, I think like, you, you know, as a referee, what you do is you try and go to a ga- into a game without any any preconceived ideas, no bias. You referee, you know, your style of game, your blueprint. Um, that's how you can be consistent in the game. But what was different this year is that normally in rugby championship previously, um, teams, won't, they wouldn't play each other week after week. Uh, yep. um, so in this, in this round, <laughs> that week, um, Australia played South Africa in Adelaide. And then they played the same game in Sydney the week after. So it was almost like a mini series. So all the, you know, whatever happens in that first part of the series, you know, all the, the built up tension, um, who tackled who, who scored on who, um, who won, does get carried over to the next game. So you'd be silly as a referee not to just understand that, okay, there is a little bit of history there from the week before. So I understood that. Any, I mean, any Australia South Africa test match, I bet any test match, but especially those two are going to be spicy. Um, you know, they love a bit of feeling there, eh? There's a bit of feeling there between those two teams. There's a lot of love. There's a lot of love and (laughs) a lot of big hits and, um, you know, really good game of rugby. So I did have that, that understanding that, okay, look, we need to be in control, um, of what's going on in the game, especially with the week before we had, um, you know, uh, Marika Corabetti tackle in the corner. Yeah, yeah. We got a card against Fafta Clerk. So there was a lot of history there um, going into this game. So, yeah, we, we had that. And then, you know, when we went into the 80 minutes, I did. I walked off the field and, you know, I felt like I was in the game the whole time. You know, I had to, I was, I was constantly thinking, constantly working really hard, had to have my ARs helping me, my TMR as well. And I walked off the game thinking, oh, look, um, obviously we go through a big review process with our coaches and our, our review staff. 
and I just wasn't sure how they were going to how they were going to take it because it was a tough tough game. I think you know throughout the whole game I was constantly at crossroads of okay I can go down this path with this decision, I can, or I can go down this path and make this type of decision. And there were about you know multiple times throughout the game, um, especially the last big push and shove at the end. Um, you know do I do I yellow card the South African winger, or do I yellow card um, even Itzebeth and Alan Alatoa for their push and shove? Or do I yellow card all of them? You know, so <laughs> in that moment, there's three or four different decisions that I can make, which, okay, in that moment, you, you feel and use your experience to try and make what you think is the best decision for the game. But in hindsight, when you review a game and you look at different angles, um, it can always be different and the outcomes can always be different as well. So, yeah, look, you're always, I think you're always nervous after test matches now because you're just not sure how it's going to be perceived. You can come off and you're happy that, well, I did the best I could and I did the best what I felt for the game. Um, but certainly, you know, you learn a lot in review. Um, fortunately, though, they were, they were pretty happy. My bosses, um, obviously, they thought there were, there were one or two things that you could do differently and you learn from that. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, they're always tough. So I just I found that over the last two years, especially leading into this next World Cup, um, referees, you do, you just sort of, you, you're doing the best that you can. Um, and a lot of the referees are doing a great job. And then you're coming off the game and thinking, okay, well, let's see, let's see how that's reviewed. And, and then um, hopefully you get the tick box, but sometimes you don't. Was that uncertainty though? Does that become? Does that come from the fact that you thought you were in the game a bit? Like your desire really is to not be in the game too much. You want to let it flow. You want to let the almost the team sort out. Um, you know, the match between them. But when you have to step in and adjudicate certain things and feel like maybe you're slowing down the game or maybe you're in the game a bit, is that where that uncertainty comes from? Because actually, your desire when you walk on the field is just to go out there and try and um, let this baby flow and let the guys go at it. Yeah, well, I mean, a referee's job, you want to just be able to set guidelines. So set guidelines that will allow the players to showcase their talents, okay? And that's what you got to do. Because if you if you don't set those guidelines, teams are good enough and they push the edge enough that yeah. it'll be free-for-all. But you don't want to, like, close it up so that, you know, teams can't do that and teams can't play. So that's the balance you want to make. But I think, like, when a referee, you, you're constantly making decisions either that everyone sees because you're blowing the whistle, or you're constantly making decisions not to blow your whistle. So that's what you're, you're having to deal with for the 80 minutes. So it's not often always what people see because um, in your head, actually, you're working out a lot more stuff. You know, did that play when they went off their feet? Is that a penalty? Um, did they affect the nine, um, nine delivery to the first five? Um, is that consistent with how I've refereed in the first 10 minutes? So they're all stuff that you're thinking as a referee. And um, sometimes you, you quickly get into that seat and that feel really easily and then the game does flow. But then sometimes, you know, what I'd say in that South Africa, um, Australia game, is that you know you're constantly just having to stay in it whether you're making decisions or not making decisions for the full 80 minutes. So you have a chat with your your assistant referees at half time. You know, okay, guys, this is what we had in the first 40. What do we need to do to change for the next 40? And you know, it might be okay. We need to stand more on the D line offsides. You know, space is a bit tight. Um, you know, we need to hold the kickers and the players that are chasing through so that there's a, a better counter attack because players are moving forward in the line. So you're constantly working. And I think just the game's changed now where. You know, referees, they're just, you're having to think and work a lot harder now. Um, and and when you do your review, yeah, you find out when you're correct and also you find out the non-decisions, so the decisions that you should have made and also the ones where you get them wrong. Mate, and what does that look like? So you, you do that game, you come off the field, like, um, does the team that you've just refereed have the opportunity to challenge anything post the game? And when do you do your review uh, with your bosses, with, what is it, Craig Joubert or someone like that? And then when does that all finish so you can... Um, flush all that and carry on to the next one. Like, what does it look like post a test match? Because so often, uh, the referees' decisions are a massive talking point in the game we've just watched on the weekend. 
Yeah, like I, I mean, that's the beauty of test matches right now. And I think the beauty of the passion for the game is that people are always talking about a game of rugby. And, you know, it, it is just down to get the, the decisions that a referee makes, you know, because it's the difference between one team winning, one team losing, a player being yellow or red carded. Um, and I do love that. I do love the um, the talking points that it creates. So what we do after a game, so we've got bosses. So Joel Jute, you see Craig Jubeer, Tony Spreadbury, um, Bryce Lawrence. So one will be allocated to be our reviewer for that game. So they'll watch the game in detail. And then as a group, they will discuss that together. So they'll go through their playlist. They'll clip um, at times in the games where there's a decision that I got right or wrong. Um, they'll say whether it was right, um, the reasons they thought it was wrong, or a decision that they thought that needed to be made in the game. They'll then comment on any high-impact decisions, so tries that were awarded or disallowed, so through the TMO or yellow or red cards that were given um, or missed as well. So they'll set up their playlist. I'll do my full review on a Sunday or a Monday as well, and I'll look at my accuracy and I'll do the same thing. So when we get together on a Tuesday with my assessor, we hopefully have the clips aligned and, you know, whether I've had a good game or a bad game or um, had some errors in it, we should be in the same ballpark. So if we are, then great. Okay, my review is pretty good, your review as well, and then we can discuss the game. If we're if we're way off, like if we're off the the, the mark with each other, then that's when we have an issue. Yeah. Um, but we're generally pretty honest in our reviews now, um, so we are pretty much aligned. And then once that's done, so that's the full review done, it's fully discussed, we then we discuss as a full group of referees the games over the weekend. And then the actual team coaches, they send through the clips as well. So, for example, South Africa, I think they sent through about um, you know, 15 to 20 clips. Um, <laughs> uh, Aussie, Australia sent through about you know 10 minutes worth of clips. So, and it's all really good. So a lot of it is you know technical stuff around, okay, was this, should this have been a penalty? Should this not have been a penalty? Um, but also trend detail as well, because they're then leading, you know, they're going to straight into play, you know, the All Blacks or straight into Argentina. So they want to they get a referee's viewpoint around, you know, some of the detail of what they're doing uh, right or wrong too. So I think I've enjoyed the collaboration there is around the game between our assessors and the team coaches. I know we meet up with the coaches before the game as well. And I think, you know, it's really important for us to, to un, you know, keep understanding that game and not, you know, drifting off in that bubble that, you know, referees we can if we get off, you know, sidetracked down those train tracks. Semi-final football this weekend, you've got Canterbury versus Bay of Plenty. Have you enjoyed um, getting back to the domestic game, um, seeing some of our local talent? Is there differences in style, uh, how you prepare for a game, etc.? Like, I know there's a few less cameras, Ben, to put you under the microscope. That's certainly one difference in the uh, MPC versus international, isn't it? But, like, um, do you really look forward to those matches? Oh, man, I love I love the NPC. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, you do get a little bit nervous when you're warming up and you're looking down the the sideline and you see that there's no cameras down there. <laughs> it means you got to work hard. You got to get in goal because um, the TMO, uh, you know, without you know, 24 angles, that you know, yeah. 24 cameras, it doesn't really help. Um, so that does make you a little bit nervous. But what I've loved is that um, you know we we have we have such a wide pool of talent within New Zealand, and we're seeing that come through with with new players. Um, you know, we saw that in the Waikato Bay Plenty game uh, last weekend, you know, where you know, players are, are breaking through the middle, new names are, are scoring tries on the wing. And, you know, it's just exciting rugby. And I especially liked round nine, um, which was the last round of NBC, where I think, you know, six or seven teams, yeah. oh no, it would have been more, you know, could have made the quarterfinals. And it all came down to, you know, the last the last game. And, and because teams needed to get points and score tries, Instead of taking the three points, they were kicking to the corner. So, you know, Canterbury, Canterbury versus Otago. And and I really enjoyed that game. It, it, you know, it was one of those ones, like we said before, set the guidelines. So I set those guidelines and then the players just played. And, you know, we got down to, to the last minute of the game where, 
um, you know, either team was was in position to be able to win it and and, and go through to the quarterfinal. So it's a great competition, and I think um, New Zealand rugby is in a good place because whilst a lot of the All Blacks haven't been able to play, we've seen a lot of um, new talent coming through, um, young talent that uh, you know it keeps us on our toes as referees. But I think you know it's going to be it's going to cause some international um, teams some problems in a few years when those players come through. Mate, have you got your schedule? Have you been appointed some matches for the Northern Tours, for the, the Northern Hemisphere matches Is because you're part of the international panel? Do you know what you'll be doing um, towards the end of the year? Yeah, I do. So Roundy Day actually just came out um, last week. So um, part of the review process that happens after a window, and I, I call it like the Rugby Championships a window, the July Test Series was a window in, in Six Nations. So um, those bosses that I talked about before, they sit down and they they look through all the games in November and they select referees for those games and and they sort of pick based on um, performances in you know previous windows and you know what they're thinking now for Rugby World Cup. So you know Rugby World Cups next year, mm-hmm. they're going to be selecting their their World Cup referees uh, in about March next year. So they're thinking, okay, we're taking about twelve referees. Who are those twelve referees? And um, are there more referees that we need to actually keep looking at and give experience to? So. Um, that's what they'll do over um, in November and obviously for Six Nations as well. So, um, yeah, so I head over in about three weeks and heading to heading to France first. I'm going to run touch for Jaco Piper. We're going to he's going to referee France versus Australia um, at Stade de France. So yeah. that's going to be epic. And then I head on down to Cardiff at uh, Principality Stadium. I referee Wales versus Argentina. Nice. It's be a really good game. That it's awesome atmosphere at that stadium. And then the last round, I'll referee um, go to Dublin and referee at Aviva Stadium, and I'll do Ireland versus Australia. And oh. um, yeah, that, that'll be that'll be just a massive game too. So some big big games coming up and some big test matches. And you sort of just you know you finish one one window um, <laughs> and you sort of you know catch your breath and then you know you go into these these two two more big games as well. Mate, and that's I think that's a point you touched on there a little bit. You know, so often. You know, I think the fans or the rugby community, um, you know, don't see refs as accountable as perhaps players and coaches. You know, like that. There's always a bit of of that view, but like, hundred percent. Like you, you're trying to perform to be picked for these pinnacle events, and at the moment, the World Cup's the one on our horizon, isn't it? And you want to go up north and show that you can referee in all different parts of the world, all different teams playing each other, all different styles, so you can chuck your name in the hat to go to what is, I have no doubt. Um, the ultimate goal for a referee to go and referee at the World Cup, and and um, hopefully you can't ref a final because that means New Zealand's not in it. But um, to referee the highest possible games at those tournaments. Yeah, look, I, I just love being involved in those top games because I find them I find them challenging, um, and I like to come through those challenges and learn. Uh, and you know it is so you know players wanting to go to World Cup and referees are as well, and it's a bit of a double edged sword because while we're trying to it, we want we want the best flowing game, we want the game to be all about obviously the players. But also because we want to be able to go to World Cup, we want to be accurate so that when we have these review sessions with our coaches, we don't want to be sitting at low accuracy, yeah. even though there's 25 tries in the game and everyone was loving the game. <laughs> yeah. so, so that's that balance we're trying to work at is with, with refereeing is, okay, where is that where is that middle point? And, and I think um, there's definitely accountability for referees. Now, while it might not be public, but if you, you, know, you, read, you read between the lines, you look at appointments, um, you know, referees don't always get the the tier one versus tier one games. You know, some windows they actually, um, you know, referee that you know they might referee a tier two versus tier two country, which which is still challenging in itself. Um, so there is a bit of a rotation there, and um, there is definitely accountability around around those performances. 
but you know, a lot of referees they're just trying to they want to get be in a position where they are being selected for that for that pinnacle event. And and mate, I've always said I've probably said to you as well, Randy, that my hundred percent goal is to be having a beer in the final <laughs> watching the All Blacks um, at that World Cup next year. So if I can do that and you know referee um, some games there, I'll, I'll be super happy, and that will be a great goal to achieve. Um, so yeah, it's it's some exciting some exciting rugby coming up in the next few months. Mate, let's talk about some of the big moments in the game. There's plenty of them, but we'll pick a few out. Like, and, and probably most recently, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the Bledisloe in Melbourne, where you know, massive call um, that basically took up 95% of the coverage post the match. Um, what were your thoughts on that? And also, just, I mean, talk us a little bit around, you know, that process and and what um, where we got to post that match around that decision. Yeah, look, obviously, you know, massive, massive decision. Um, and uh, you know, one minute to go. It was just—it was an amazing test match. You know, that Blue Lizzo was was unreal, and it's quite funny. You know, like constantly, I think um, you know, there's always jokes that players say to referees. I think you know, I can't count the amount of times now that in games that you know people have been saying time wasting to me, and <laughs> um, you know, get, getting them to speed up the game. So I think um, you know what 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 the referee did in that situation is you know really just showcase that okay, we we need to actually sort the game out and actually. Um, improve improve time wasting so that players uh, move in the game along, you know. And and you know if if for anything whether the, whether the referee was right or wrong, if for anything, um, it's now become a topic that players are aware of. And you know I, I think um, you know good luck to anyone that tries to do the same thing um, in a big test match in a quarter final or semi final or World Cup next year. But um, look in in that situation and. and I think it's it's fine to be able to talk about it now because as a referee in those moments, you you make decisions based on um, what you feel is best in that moment, but also what influences you throughout the game. Yeah. What I think I don't I don't think a lot of people realise is that there was a little bit of a running battle between um, the referee, um, you know, and 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 the Wallabies first five throughout the game in terms of you know wanting to speed up the game or you know stop at the kick i want i want to review something and then you know the ball's kicked over the referee's head so there was a, there was a bit of that that was sort of probably influencing that final decision um so while like the decision and this is what everyone asked me while the decision was correct under law i think there's a lot of situations in a game where you know there is the law book and there is actually how you best manage it and i think what will rugby's come out and said afterwards is that look we we understand and we support that technically you're correct um and making that decision to to turn the ball over because of time wasting um, but in the future, if we have situations like this again, to all the referees, you know, let's let's think of ways which are going to be a little bit less spotlight on us um, that you can actually manage that situation. So whether that's actually just calling time off and saying, look, I'm not going to actually put time back on until you kick the ball, until you go to the line out, um, or actually not saying anything at all and understanding that we're given a penalty, um, you know, the Wallabies deserve to um, kick to the, kick to touch and have a line out. Um, so there's all these diff- different situations. So um, there's a spectrum of what we can decide on. Right here at the end is is turnover scrum, and right here at the end is doing nothing. So I think what it allowed us to understand is that okay, we know those are the two decisions. What else can we do in the middle um, if we get those um, if we get that situation in the game again? So that was the big learning for us. Uh, it's great to hear you discuss sort of I don't know for lack of a better term feel of the game with with the bosses as well, and that's a that's a component when you're doing your reviews. I want to talk to another one where we stiff the Aussies. Um, Sam Whitelock try. At Eden Park, what were your thoughts on that? I know it was one. I was actually in the crowd for that one, so it was really hard to kind of um, really have an opinion because it's you know it's it's such a different experience when you're live at the game compared to when you're watching on TV. But what were your thoughts on that one? Yeah, look, it, it, it's a, it's a tough one. That was that was a complicated one. If you just if you're just looking at it based on you know what the referee is trying to see, 
But the important thing was the question that the referee gave to the TMO. And this yeah. is this is one thing that I want to get out there is that we have systems and, and I guess safety nets in place with the TMO around foul play and around grounding so that it makes it easier for the TMO and actually, you know, reward the attacking team or or for better, you know, for better use of the word, the, the team that's scoring a try. So in that situation, what the referee's done is that the referee's seen a grounding. So if the referee sees a grounding, the on-field decision, if, if, if it's leading to a try, will always be the on-field decision is try. Yeah. But I just want to check, you know, what was going on. So if the on-field decision is try, there must be clear and obvious or clear evidence that um, the try is not correct for, yep. the, for the team mode overall, if that makes sense. So um, in that situation, so the referee's seen Sam Whitelock, he's seen his hand on the ball, and he's seen the ball grounded. So he must have seen those two things. He's then asked for um, the TMO to have a look at it and said that the on-field decision is try. Yep. Now, in that whole situation when we looked at it, yes, I think Angus Bell definitely gets his ball on, um, his hand on the ball, but there's no clear evidence of the ball separating from Sam Whitelock's hand. And that's something that the referee saw. He saw that Sam Whitelock never um, took his hand off the ball and he saw the ball was grounded. So really, in that situation, all you need to do is look at three or four angles. And then if those three or four angles don't show um, clear separation, they don't show a clear knock-on, then the answer's try. So even, even though it was really difficult and we probably looked at the angles you know, too many times, it made it maybe that created a little bit more confusion. Because the on-field decision was try, then um, it's always going to be a try. Now the difference would be if the if if the referee didn't see the ball grounded, yep. um, your on-field decision would be would be no try, and and therefore it would actually be really hard to overall that side as well. So it's really important that the live decision is correct by the referee. So by saying the on-field decision was try, the on-field uh, referee is saying that look, I have seen the ball grounded, I have seen the ball um, in Sam Whitelock's hand. Yes, Angus Bell does touch the ball as well, um, but because you can't prove that there is clear separation, we will the try and we move on. So a um, bit of background there for you. Totally. I want to go to the other end of the spectrum a little bit and talk about the the last uh, rugby championship match between Argentina and South Africa, which had a huge amount of penalties. And and get your thoughts on, and that caused a bit of, a bit of discussion as well, um, two very abrasive teams. Um, thoughts on that and the amount of penalties given? Yeah, look, um, we, as we go into a game, referee, we, we never have in our mind what's the ideal number of penalties in a game. We, we don't try and referee to a magic number. Yep. Some games you'll referee and you may only have 12 penalties in the game. Um, some games like this one, and, and yes, it is rare, um, there was 39 penalties and six yellow cards. So, you know, a lot of penalties, almost almost one every two minutes. Um, so that is a lot higher than probably what we've seen. But if we look back at throughout the rugby championship, I had 26 penalties in my game. I think the the week after we had 31, 32 um, in the previous Argentina uh, South Africa game as well. So you know that I guess 39 is not too far off from being inconsistent with with the weeks before. And if we look through that game, so yes, there are always decisions that we make as a referee that are incorrect. Okay, there's also decisions that we miss. So potentially that game could have had 45 penalties. <laughs> yeah. Now I mean that that is it does sound a little bit outrageous, and and I guess you know you don't want. People don't turn up to to hear the referee blow their whistle constantly, but they want to they want to they want to watch a fair game of rugby. And what I liked about what the referee did in that game is that he made his decisions, and then after about four or five, or if any of them repeated, he went to both captains or separately to captains and clearly warned them about what the referee was seeing and around what the penalties were for. And if the behaviour didn't change, then you know the outcome or the consequence of that's going to be a yellow card. So when the referee stuck to his guns and continued to penalise them, and the, and the players didn't change their behaviour, then you know what do we get? We got we got multiple yellow cards in the game. 
And that's why the, the, the referee and the, the captain relationship is really important because teams, especially at the elite level, have to be able to adapt to what the referee is doing on the day. They have to be able to understand, okay, this is the picture that the referee is seeing. Whether the referee is right or wrong, if we want to win this game, we've got to adapt. And the team that adapts the fastest is going to win that game. And in that game, what we saw is that, you know, the referee gave the, the captain the opportunity to understand what the issues were. So, for example, I think in the game, there's a bit of offside, there's a bit of slowing it down um, at the ruck. And then it's up to the captain to actually tell the players to change their behaviour, to maybe stop um, jacking for the ball or just choose your moments better. Or even right up to the, the the coach, you know, the coach has heard the warning as well. So if there's a, a player that's been penalised a lot, you know, they might have to pull that player off for for that game because that's just what the referee's saying. So therefore, you know, like a lot of referees, sometimes when we're challenged, sometimes we actually back off, and yeah, then right. it's a bit of a free for all because we don't want to get that penalty count too high. So I understood what the referee did in that moment, and look to his credit, um, you know, stuck to his guns, kept penalising them, kept warning them, gave them a yellow card. They didn't change, kept penalising them, warned them again, then another yellow card, and, you know, we get to a 39 penalty kick game. And I think, you know, I, look, I looked at the review in that game, and his accuracy was about, you know, 92%. So, you know, that's that's pretty high and, um, you know, did, did a pretty good job. So, yeah, a bit of an outlier in terms of the number of penalties. It was a good learning for all of us, but also I think a good learning for, for players that, um, you know, both teams just have to adapt with the referee on the day. Some days they're just like that, eh? Some days teams just... Um, just want to get in there and, and niggle each other and, and it doesn't matter what the ref does, yeah. it's maybe not going to change behaviour. It's niggle, but also, I mean, there were, there were a lot of unlucky penalties in that game as well, you know, where a player knocks on and then someone that's offside oh, falls yeah. in the red basket, um, you know, so that's a penalty. So there's a lot of sort of unusual penalties um, like that as well. So when you see that as a referee, just thinking, oh, yeah, that's another one, but I've got to give it. So Talk a little bit as well around, a little bit around the rules and, and try and help our listeners a little bit to understand, you know, some of the things they see on TV. You know, one that caused a huge amount of discussion was in the second and the third test of the All Blacks versus Ireland um, around head contact. Um, two big cards around head contact. You know, one, you know, you could argue certainly from from my perspective, um, similar-ish, um, but given different outcomes. So do you want to talk a little bit um, about that? Because I know that's all been uh, through re- review now and, and is out there. Yeah, it's... Um Heat contact process or, the, or or heat collisions in the game obviously is a big talking point with you know, potential lawsuits that are happening up in the UK and you know injuries that are happening to players as well with concussion. So um, World Rugby has got a, a big uh, aspect of trying to protect players and safety in the game, which I, I I really credit. I think it's it's really valuable for us. So um, what the what the bosses have tried to arrange or, or understand is okay, how do we how do we allow the game to continue in its dynamic? Um, the way that players play, but also how do we protect the players around uh, the t- t- tackle technique? So this the head contact process was brought in. I think you know it's been there for about you know just over a year now, um, and it allows us to referee and try and get some consistency between games, so that we can decide whether a player is you know making a tackle. Do they cause foul play, and is that foul play something we need to sanction? So the head contact process has four questions to it. The first question is. Is there head contact? Yes or no? So that's quite easy. The second one, is it due to foul play? And then the third and fourth is, um, what is the degree of danger? And is there any mitigation involved? So any type of head contact that happens in a game of rugby, um, we'll have the referee looking at it live, but also the TMO in the background, uh, rewinding and looking at that process. And there is a lot of head contact process in in a game. So players enter a ruck, players make a low tackle. There may be heat contact, and that's the first answer. So do we say yes or no to that? 
if we say yes, the second question is, um, is it due to foul play? So a lot of that is based on the tackler. So yeah, what does we, that mean? What does foul play mean in that context here? Yep. So what we expect the tackler to do is, is like we're taught when we, you know, when we grew up playing rugby, is that you need to bend at the hips. Okay. You need to have both hands up. You need to be wrapping with your arms. So if a tackler makes head contact, but is bent at the hips, is low to the ground, and is wrapping, that head contact is not due to foul play. Okay. Because there's nothing else that that tackler could have done. If, however, the tackler is upright, okay, so they haven't bent at the hips or they haven't wrapped their arms, then the answer to that second question, is it due to foul play, is yes. Yeah. So now we're going down the process of, okay, we understand that it's foul play, so it's either going to be a red card, a yellow card, or a penalty. And that all comes down to the degree of danger. So that's the third question. So the degree of danger can either be um, extreme, um, middle, or low. Um, and factors that come into that are, are they, are they wrapping or is it a direct shoulder charge? Um, are they running in from distance? Do they have um, full sight of the player the yeah. whole time while trying to do that? So if they're running in from distance with speed, they're upright and they click the player on the head, we're going to say that that is a high degree of danger and potentially that's going to be going to be a red card. Yeah, see you later. But then the last question is, is there any mitigation? So mitigation um, can be due to the ball carrier. And you know, is that ball carrier being tackled? So therefore, there's a significant change in height dropping. Or is there a significant change in height in terms of the step? Yeah. Now, this this whole con head contact process, those four questions, has been developing over time, right? So when we had the July um, incident with um, Angus Tarvau, he was correctly given a red card based on that head contact process then. What we understood in the review, though, is that um, Angus Tarvau, he was upright. But because there was a significant change in direction from the Irish player, he didn't actually have time to be able to dip. So it was more reaction. So we don't expect players, and this is what we learned, we don't expect players to run around, bend to the hips, just in case <laughs> yeah. they get on the inside. <laughs> yeah. We learned in that situation that that can be used as um, either mitigation because, because there was a significant change in direction Angus Tarvel didn't have time to drop. Um, what we would do is actually potentially bring that down to, from a red to a yellow because we did have head contact. Um, it was foul play because Angus was upright. Yep. Um, there was a, um, a degree of danger because um, there was direct contact and was with speed. But the mitigation is because Angus Tarvel didn't have um, time to actually bend at the hips because of the significant change in direction of the, the Irish player coming back in. So that was the really good learning there. And then we had the Andrew Porter incident the week after where um, there was a, it was a little bit different because potentially, you know, what the referee did in that scenario was that there was no mitigation from uh, Brody Retallick dipping. But the degree of danger was a lot lower. That's what the referee saw at the time, because the player Andrew Porter wasn't running out of the line, um, did have a clear line of sight, but he thought that the danger was low. In review, however, um, what they've said is that you know Andrew Porter was actually coming in and actually sort of launched into the tackle. So, um, in review, thought that it actually that actually could have been a red card. So, a lot of it a lot of it is changing. It's dynamic. You know, we're trying to get to a point where we get to the World Cup next year. And all these little changes have already happened so that we have a really solid system, a really solid framework so that when a referee describes it, almost the whole public understands it and they can come along for the ride as well. So what July showed is that we're not really there yet. Okay, we're still getting there. But what I like is that, look, we've got another eight months of, of rugby um, and I feel like we are just getting, we are getting more consistent. We are getting um, closer to those right decisions. Um, even though July we had, you know, some good learnings. I think rugby championship was a lot better and i think you know november will be a lot better as well and i've seen when when we get together as a group of referees we go through you know all the world rugby referees we go through about 40 or 50 clips of foul play from all over the world and we wow. use um was it kahoot you know uh, yeah 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 
Yeah, play a game. So two years ago, it was a massive spread around okay. where the consistency was. Where now we're really tight um, around, you know, what people think's a red card, what people think's a yellow card, or play on. So um, it's it's getting there. It's really getting there. And, and I think July just showed and it allowed us to be able to adapt it better. I really like that. I like how you stepped us through the four stages, which you can almost see the referee doing on the field when they're going through that decision. They almost talk through those different stages, don't they, and and do that with their uh, the TMO and try and come to the right outcome. I think you're right, mate. It's sort of it's not early days, but it's very much a journey, and I, and I think um, overall um, there is getting some more consistency into that side of things because the reality is we want to protect the head, don't we? We don't want people going off with concussions or or knockouts. That's the last thing we want to see, and they're such big units these days. Um, mate, we're going to leave it there because um, we've blown through 40 minutes as we do. We want to get you on regularly. Um, I think another great opportunity will be when you get back from Northern Hemisphere to see what you've seen up there. Like It'll be really, really interesting to dig into um, You know whether it was the style of the game or, or how you had to referee those games is going to be any different because some of those are crackers. Like Ireland are, are red hot at the moment. They're playing Aussie. Um, uh, you know, in Dublin, that'll be amazing. Principality, Principality Stadium, like that'll be amazing. Like it'll be fantastic to talk to you and get back with that. So, thank you so much, mate, for joining us. Uh, good luck on the weekend. Uh, that'll be a cracking game as well. Um, and perhaps we'll see you blowing the whistle in the final as well. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks, Ronnie. Awesome. Cheers. The All Blacks podcast is powered by our official cloud software partner, SAP, helping our teams in black be the best run in sports. Hosted by Rob Dunn in the Hargrave Street Studio. Produced by Carl Thompson from Blue and Ginge, the podcast producers. Video editing by Mac Leesberg, graphics by Western Design, content advising from Andy Burt, and commercial manager for the podcast is Valeska Hoth. Follow the All Blacks podcast on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts.